Yo, 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 Kev, what up, man? It's your boy SB the Ghost checking in, saying love is love, telling y'all people to make sure y'all check out the Living Let Live podcast. My boy Kevin's holding it down as he always does, but the Living Let Live podcast, they talk about all kind of issues, life shit, real shit, weekly shit. So tune in, man. Make sure you check them out. My guy Kev gets it in. Check it out. Hey, yo, living, man. We met at AI Hall of Fame ceremony. You know, we was chopping it up, kicking it. It's a beautiful thing. Big congratulations. Y'all make sure y'all go out and check it out. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy Gator from Day One FX. Logging in to show the homie Kevin some love. What it do? How you doing, big dog? I had to log in to show you some love, bro. Had to. That's what I do, bro. Tapped in with you, making sure you're doing well and magnificent, man. Most importantly, thanks for watching the show, Dave. Yeah, season two on the way. But let's get back to business, homie. Kevin got a podcast out, man. It's called the Live and Let Live Podcast. He's doing his thing. The Live and Let Live Podcast. Make sure y'all tap in. He blazing. Talking about all type of topics, man. He's tapped into the current event. Pass all that, bro. Make sure you just tap in with my boy. Support him. He a good dude. Yeah, it's your boy Gator. GD forever. Keep grinding, homie. Go harder, homeless. So once again, living. Shout out to you from your brother. Kiss. Keep banging. Keep banging. Keep banging. <laughs> yeah. What's going on, y'all? <laughs> Like to welcome y'all to the Live and Let Live podcast, episode eight. <laughs> man, episode seven was a tough one, but here we are, man. We made it. Um, but before we get into that, first and foremost, I would um, like to send my condolences to the family and loved ones of the great actor Chadwick Boseman. From 42 to Draft Day to Thurgood Marshall to the Black Panther to, you know, the, the Five Bloods. Everything this this man touched was a reason. Um, and, you know, the heart's heavy for the culture on this one. Um, also, the great Arizona coach, Lute Olsen. Um, think think he brought 19 players into the NBA. He changed 19. He made 19 millionaires. Um, Clifford Robinson, the, the the great Portland Trailblazer, sixth man of the year, NBA All-Star. The greatest Met of all time, Tom Seaver. I'm not a Mets fan, but, you know, he, he, he was incredible on the mound. And last but certainly not least, the great, 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 great Georgetown coach, John Thompson. From... Patrick Ewing to Dikembe Mutombo to my favorite player of all time, Allen Iverson. AI said, you saved my life, coach. That's more than basketball. When nobody wanted to recruit AI over that terrible, racist bowling alley brawl that got overturned, John Thompson took a chance on him. Changed his life, changed the world, changed the culture, changed the looks. Like, that was all because of John Thompson. Oh, man, so... With a heavy heart, man, I, I want to hope that God grants you eternal light and you will forever be missed, all of you. So, after last week's episode, where I basically just spilled my soul, um, I received a lot of positive feedback. I, and, you know, it shocked me, man, so thank you for that. And... The most humbling part was, you know, I know how many people listen to the podcast. I get the numbers back, but you never know who is listening. So the fact that, you know, people I didn't even know listen to the podcast were reaching out to me, just telling me how proud they were of me and everything else. You know, I don't feel proud. I'm not proud of myself, but it, it, it meant the world to me just to know that people care, Um, you know. Meant a lot. So thank you so much for that. But I also received a lot of feedback from people asking me to like follow up on this and, you know, not just speak about it once and move on to other things. Um, you know, they, they wanted to hear from people who survived addiction and, you know, dealing with addiction and stuff like that. So I didn't realize how many people 
have friends and family going through this. Like, I know addiction is bad. I come from the opioid capital of America, Philly. Uh, right now, it's the murder capital. <laughs> you know, it's it's a terrible spot right now. Um, Kensington looked like the walking dead, for real, for real. I was at the movies the other day seeing Rocky. I told my homie, I said, yo, see how shitty this looks? That looks like a resort compared to how it is now. <sighs> so, with that said, I reached out to my good friend. Uh, he came on the scene 1988 and hasn't left the hip-hop world since. So with that said, um, I would like to welcome my friend, my brother, the world-famous DJ Too Tough. Give it up for him, y'all. I know y'all know this one. Too tough. What's good, brother? Go damn. Rock on. What's going on, Larry? Hey, man, how you feeling, bro? Everything is well, bro. Thanks for bringing me on the show. Hey, man, thanks for having. You know what I mean? Thanks for joining me. You know, I know your time is money out there. How you feeling today? Everything is going well. Oh, that's dope, man. That's dope. Uh. Yo, so for those who don't know, man, if you don't know DJ Too Tough, I don't even know what to say at this point, but, you know, if you kind of new to the culture, just listening based on stuff where, you know, you don't really listen to hip-hop, this man is a Philadelphia icon, one of the greatest DJs of all time. Uh, you know, so so Tough, why don't, you, um, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got started, all that stuff. Well, uh, 1986, I graduated high school from St. Joe's Prep. I was uh, already working with Tough Crew to a certain extent as a, a DJ for them. And uh, we were presented with the opportunity to go on tour that year after having recorded our first album, which was called Fan Jam. Okay. Uh, we would go on to record another album called uh, Danger Zone, which featured a song that you might know called My Part of Town. I think everybody and, knows that. What did it do, a 3.5 worldwide? Yeah, 3.5 combined worldwide. That was with licensing deals and everything. So okay. we've never seen $3.5 million. But it has been a $3.5 million run that, that, that we had. Just uh, just receiving the, the enormous amount of love from everybody all over the world. Because initially when we made that song, we, we didn't have any idea that it was going to be such a, a timeless anthem, as they, as they call it. Okay. So, so just today, I'm very grateful to have been able to carry the the legacy of my part of town over more than 30 years now. Um, I pretty much have been a DJ, and that's been my job for my entire life. Um, and it all it all really kind of goes back to that one song, which was um, I don't know, man. It was very unexpected and, and, and has lasted a lifetime, and I'm very grateful. You know, I was always curious when people make a song like that, like you just said, you never knew what was going to happen with it. You know, me doing music, you never know what song people are going to like, what they're not going to like. Um, so that has to be a surreal feeling. Like, you know, you, you put out a song, you're just thinking it's going to play local Philly and then boom, you know, it, it's all over. You got the video and, you know, what, what was that run like for y'all from 88 on? Um. It was a little, it was, it was, uh, we watched hip hop be born right in front of us. I mean, I saw Big Daddy Kane, Bismarcky. We, we witnessed a lot of, a lot of the origins, origins of hip hop happening, like right in front of our face. One, one thing that really made it much, much easier was when our manager, Tony Mitchell, brought Ultra Magnetic to Philadelphia to do a show. Mm. He booked them to do a show here. And they ended up staying about, I don't know, two months, said G and Cookies. So they basically taught us a lot of their production skills, how to use the SP-12, how to use the SP-1200. Those those machines were really uh, reserved for the elite. Sampling has, had just started, you know, so most people who had uh, experienced sampling as a producer only had a limited amount of uh, sampling time. So you had to get creative with the with the time that you had. 
but Ultra Magnetic opened doors for us in New York that we would never have been able to open for ourselves. And we got to rub elbows with Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out and a lot of the a lot of the DJs that were putting out, uh, well, a lot of DJs who were on New York radio, but also DJs who were putting out mixtapes at the time, like Clue and uh, Doo-Wop. Uh, some classic stuff came out. Although you mentioned the, the video to my part of town, which doesn't exist, actually. I mean, there's videos on YouTube, but there was never an official video shot for my part, my part of town. Well, there actually was one shot, but it was never released. It was uh, I have a clip of the footage. Yeah, it's on see, YouTube. That's where I remember you showing it to me back in the day. Um, that that's why I brought it up because you know they. I think I saw I was watching it earlier today before we did this. You know, you always want to go back before you have a special guest on, and you know, you just want to reinvent yourself and re. I'm sorry, reintroduce yourself to everything so it's all fresh in your mind. Um. So I, I rem- the clip that you had that you posted on YouTube, somebody put like the footage of that giant photo shoot y'all did on like um, on the art museum steps with like the whole hood behind you. Like right. they, they put like rough clips of that where it was video footage, but chopped together, which which you did. It's pretty dope, man. You should check it out. It's uh, it, you know, it was on the first page. But uh, yeah, I'll probably I'll probably seen it and shared it a lot. Yeah, and there's, there's about five. <laughs> there's a lot of different versions of people who posted my part of town. Yeah, there's been a lot of remixes too. Yeah, there has. There's been a lot of licensing deals that went on behind our behind our knowledge. I could imagine. If you ain't see the first three point yeah. five, I know damn sure you ain't seen nothing else after that. Yeah, they ain't stopping it from from selling. That's for sure. But I mean, over a period of time, of course, the sales are going to go down. But still, the the impact of the song has has had such a you know such a major played such a major part in my life. It's been it's been a, a truly incredible journey, to be honest. I could imagine, man. Um, so just you know, give a couple stories. Like, uh, what was the best tour you ever did back then? Like, you know, just the people you toured with, or the most fun you had? Christmas Day, nineteen eighty nine. We got Leather Bombers on, headed down to Miami for uh, the first the first leg of the of the Luke Skywalker Move Something tour. Um, we wanted the there were smoking sections on the airplane at that time. So, I I saw was the lead rapper for Tough Crew. He took my smoking section seat on the airplane, and I went into the bathroom to smoke a cigarette, and ended up coming off of the airplane handcuffed <laughs> for uh, causing a possible air disaster or something. So that was my first introduction to going on tour. That tour was, by the way, pretty pretty really uh, pretty great. Uh, EPMD, Two Live Crew, Salt and Pepper. Uh, Jeez. There were a lot of names, uh, De La Soul, Tone Loke, a lot of people were on that show. That was our first experience with, with leaving Philadelphia and actually going to another city where we were like on constant rotation, number one, in the uh, South Florida area for about 11 weeks. So we did a lot of shows down there during that time. Was y'all out there and, acting uh, a fool? No, we was not acting a fool. I would have been. Uh, for, the most part, for the most part, we were probably 18, 19. If I'm 18 and 19 and I'm hanging out with Luke and the two live crew, I'm I'm coming home with 19 kids. We was acting a fool, but we wasn't we wasn't doing anything illegal. Put it that way. I mean, we did have a lot of fun. Okay. But it gets a uh, it gets a uh, sort of a slippery slope as you become engulfed in the in the fame and the the whirlwind of of, of um, the entertainment music business. It's um it's a lot to handle and it comes with a lot of other things. Um, well, and, and that's, a that's why I always yeah. said, I never think God would make me that successful. Cause he knows I would waste all the money. I'd be out there acting an ass. Like <laughs> he gives me just enough. <laughs> Cause yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 my experiences with acting an ass. All right. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit because this, you know, this is about your life, not just your music life. Um, so 94 come around, uh, your contracts are up, you guys break up. Um, you know, it, it happens. Hip-hop groups never last. I can't think of one or two that have never had a, took a break or anything like that. So, you know, it's 94, you out your contract. Um, Ice gets, you know, his personal deal with the label. Um, what happened with you? Me and T.O., 
who is one of the one of the members of Tough Crew, obviously one of the rappers. By the way, shout out to TL, Ice Dog, LA Kit, Monty G, who recently recovered from uh, COVID nineteen. Um, me and Tone, Ice Dog, and LA Kit, and a few other members who were who were tagged as replacements for me and Tone uh, went back with Mitch and did a a fourth Tough Crew album, which was. Um, contractually, uh, you had to do it. You know, yeah, we had to do the fourth album, or or the fourth album had to be a Tough Crew album. Didn't matter who the members were, Tough Crew at that point. Uh, me and Tone um, went with our with our road manager, uh, Fat Calvin Sutton, and we recorded um, "Back to Yell" and "Flipping Kilos." So in '91, Tough Crew was uh, fractured. And there was a lot of internal fighting. That fighting also spilled over onto the music itself. Actually, if you listen to the Still Dangerous album, you actually hear Tough Crew involved in, a, in an internal battle with, with ourselves. Um, I went on to form a studio on Frankfurt and Gerard where I recorded um, eight or nine different artists who are including Mechanism, Prime Minister Dope, uh, Jackal the Bear, and the project niggas, a bunch of different artists that I created who I who I actually still have the the eight track cassette tapes with their music on it. And recently I've been moving um, through a process of uh transferring uh, music off of those tapes and remastering them and releasing them. Some of them have already been released on um three hundred and fifty limited edition vinyl pressings with chop tearing uh, dope folks records uh, by a couple different labels who who've uh, reached out to release some of my some of the tough crew and my own um, unreleased material off of those tapes. But um, we got a little bit sidetracked from the question. I know you were asking about. Um, yeah, I was just saying when, when y'all broke up. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean because honestly, anybody can go back. You've done interviews in the past where you speak about the whole music business. Um, but I know around 94 is when things got a little different for you, where it wasn't just music. 94, it became... 94, it became a, a battle for my life, kind of. Um, tough, crew, tough Crew was kind of all the way over. I began to... I began to run into a few court cases and police arrests and stuff like that. Um, I ended up going to jail here and there, back and forth for um, six or seven years up until around 2001. I mean, how deep are we going to go with this interview? You can go as deep as you want or as not deep as you want. This is you talking. I'm just letting you breathe. Right around 1996, the music thing was pretty much over. Um, I violated my probation and sold my drum machine to pay the bail. Um, actually, it wasn't to pay the bail. It was to pay a defense attorney who really didn't do anything because my PO lifted the detainer and I la- and I walked out of jail um, without a drum machine. So my life took a turn towards uh, becoming a drug dealer. And I was uh, I met some somebody who made me kind of like the second man in charge to run around in the streets and do all kind of crazy stuff uh, as far as Let me selling start. a massive and enormous amount of weed getting on airplanes going back and forth from Phoenix, California, Philly uh, Columbus, Ohio a bunch of different places Now, uh, really quick not to cut you short, but uh, the same person you're speaking about um, that's kind of around the time I met that person when I was starting, when I was starting music, um, so I definitely, definitely, definitely know what you're talking about, um, yeah. because my producer was like his other man. So you know, we would we would be at the you know the places he owned, and yeah, that was um that was a wild time for me too. So I, I definitely understand what you talk about. So uh, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to the point per- that out. The person that we, the person that we're talking about, his name is Zeno. Yep. Uh, I dealt with Dino for about ten years. 
it was a lot of a lot of things that I <clears throat> got away with that I probably shouldn't have got away with. Yeah, you're not. And the I only can't one. even I can't even explain the how to tell you the truth. I remember one time going into a to a botanica at Front Westmoreland, and I was blindfolded. I had my put my hand into like a, some kind of jar with a goat's heart in it or something. I was uh, like blessed for protection to not get locked up by the police and. Uh, I was also told to pick a number and I picked a number, his wife picked a number and D picked a number and I went down the street and played the lottery and we hit the lottery that day. So it was kind of a eerie feeling being around him because as much crazy stuff as you could do, as much illegal drug activity as could be possibly done, well, we did it. And we never had any kind of run-ins with the police. It almost seemed like we were protected in some fashion. Um, so many different thoughts. So many different thoughts come to my mind just going back to those times and and, and yeah, thinking I'm, about the the interactions I had with with Dino. It's fucking crazy. You know, he passed away a, a couple years ago. I didn't know that. That's why I was keeping my mouth shut on a lot of things. But since he's not here, um, you know, yeah, about two and a half, peace. about two and a half years ago, around January, he passed away from a massive heart attack. And although the the interactions that I had with him weren't always pleasant, um. I am grateful for having interacted with him. He he taught me a lot a lot of stuff that I would never have access to knowing. Uh, and, and again, we go back to the word grateful because some of us are still here and some of us are not still here. And the ones that are still here, like myself, I believe that each day should be lived in a, in a grateful fashion because nobody really has to wake up every day. It's a privilege and a gift to open your eyes every morning and take that first breath. Definitely is. I, uh, I remember when when D used to own a uh, Dutch Gardens six in Luzerne. Man, yeah, those those Big nights were. I mean, I'm talking about I'm sixteen, seventeen. You know, I'm trying to do my thing, and you know, you get invited by somebody, everything free. You go in, and it's I'm talking about man, the the, the, the duckiest of duckest. <laughs> like it was crazy in there. And I remember one time my homies, uh, my homie R, he was like, yo, um, I got to go meet uh D real quick at a uh, sunrise studios, which he bought, which was, uh, you know, Frankfurt Ave. I walk yep. in, they shooting a porno <laughs> right, <laughs> right in the middle of the floor. It's like six in the morning. I'm like, yo, I'll be outside. <laughs> like it's too early for this, and that was just one of the little memories. Like, yo, yeah. I never, I never walked into a porno with Dino, but <laughs> I can, I can um, definitely relate. I can understand that. Yeah. I had a Dutch Gardens one time. Shout out to my man RX. I've just spoken to him recently. How's he doing, and, man? Uh, I speak to R in a RX. minute. He's doing well. He's the, he came pick me up the last couple of months, right before the coronavirus started, and we we was hanging out for a, an extended period of time. Oh damn! Slide on my number if you can. I still talk to rotation a lot, but um, you know, I just kind of lost yeah, lost I'll touch with that. our. You know how our phone number jump around. Yeah, yeah. I think he had a, a death in the family that he was dealing with. Oh damn! My condolences, man. R, if you're listening to this, hit me up, homie. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna make it happen. We'll link you up with R. So. I don't know what's the next topic. All right, so, boom, you running with D, you're doing crazy shit, you're getting locked up. Um, I know you got shot. You know, it, it was a lot going on for you. So, and I know when we were talking yesterday, um, you were telling me, you know, you've been dealing with something for like 30 years. And, you know, when, when did that start? Was that like during the Tough Crew times? Or was that, you know, after or after you got shot? Or how, how did that all work out? any drug situations that I involved myself in, which initially started out with just smoking weed. And if you want to take a step backwards, we could say that it started out with smoking cigarettes. Um, any drug, any drug, uh, drug use for me began with Tough Crew. I didn't really, I didn't really indulge in anything at all. Um, I was a St. Joe's prep kid. Yeah, you was a was, football uh, player in high school. Yeah, I played football. I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I was teaching myself how to scratch all at the same time between, like, 83 and 86. By 86, I was pretty good on the tables. 
by 89, I was able to make it all wax and, and record the scratches from my part of town. Um, I remember, I remember being offered to smoke a joint in high school and I looked at the dude like he was crazy. Like, why would I smoke a joint at school? And that sentiment completely turned on its head uh, shortly after I graduated from high school. See, that year, 86, the summer of 86, we, we mysteriously came up on a lot of cocaine that summer, like a brick and a half. And we began to indulge in cocaine through that whole summer. I mean, for those three months, I was probably not asleep at all for those three months. I was probably awake the entire three months. Jesus. So um, that began a long, a long journey down a, a really bleak and painful road called addiction. I'm, I'm very thankful that I never was um, introduced to heroin. I know that it's, uh, I don't know. I can only imagine that it's a much, a much more intense uh, battle to, to stop, even even after it becomes painful. Even after the pain has outweighed the pleasure, I'm sure that the, the desire just to get rid of the sickness, see, because cocaine, crack, doesn't come with any type of physical withdrawal, but I'm, a heroin does. So Really? I didn't know that. I mean, I, I've never done coke. Crack, crack, crack has no physical withdrawal. Yeah, you're not doing anything. You need a, a hoagie and a nap, and then you cool. Now, the rest of it is all totally mental, so you do need to have some type of, I don't know. There's nothing that you could do to cure your own addiction. This is just my opinion. I believe that the addiction has to be um, given to something more powerful than yourself. Surrenders to something that can do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Um, I've subscribed to a... I've subscribed to the suggestions presented to me by um, by the 12-step program, whether that be AA, NA, um, the 12 steps, which I was first introduced to 20 or more years ago when I first started getting cased up and uh, gave them high urns or whatever. And they were like, you got to go to a program. And I, I was like, program, I'm not going to no program because to go to a program would be to admit defeat and to admit defeat wouldn't be, wouldn't go in line with my ego as too tough. I'm not going to let anybody know that I'm using this drug, and at the same time, I'm I'm going to try not to. You know, every addict has the fantasy that nobody knows what they're really doing. Um, this is the the lie and the illusion that we leave. the The fear of being found out. Found out. I guess there's a inherent guilt that runs as an undercurrent through the whole addiction process. You know you're not supposed I mean, yeah, it feels good, but you know that you're not supposed to. I mean, this is your crutch, you know? And without the crutch, usually people that need a crutch and then they take away, you take away the crutch, well, then they fall. Mm. And this is a self-imposed crutch, you know? Like, we, we dabbled with something, and then we liked what we, what we felt, and then we went back. And we kept doing it over and over and over repeating the cycle until we find found out that we were caught up in the cycle i mean in the middle of a washing machine with the washing machine spinning and you're inside of it it's a little difficult to just get out of the washing machine someone else has to turn the power off right, right. or turn the power on depending on what kind of power you're plugging into so how, um, what was the, the transition from coke to crack like how did that happen we were smoking lace joints because, like I said, we had a lot of powder. This is Ethan Jefferson at the barbershop, Six and Master. This is the same benches where we used to write the songs for Tough Crew. All of the songs on, on, the, on those Tough Crew albums were writ written at Six and Master, or at least the majority of them. Um, that was our that was our spot where we used to, you know, drink 40, smoke blunts, smoke coke, etc. Um, I can only speak for myself. 
I'm not trying to incriminate anybody else, put anybody else's business out there if they haven't come to terms with whatever it is. Everybody is not an addict. But those of us who are addicts, well, we definitely know. Um, and I think that's why me and you were kind of speaking in codes for the first 10 minutes. We were like, um, you, you know what I mean? Like, we, we didn't want to put nobody's names out there. So, yeah, I mean, just whatever you feel like saying. What it really comes down to is I saw MC Shan do an interview where he told a lot of stories and it was good for him maybe on a personal level because he got to expel some demons by putting the stories out there. I don't know if I'm willing to put my put put every piece of every crazy story that I was ever involved in. Oh yeah, no. Relating, relating to drug and crack. I don't know drugs and crack, drug deals and see because Cool G Rap has said a lot. I was the type on the opposite side of smoking a pipe and the beef. I got hyped. All right, so that's that's from from uh, Road to the Riches. Right. It, it's a it's a badge of honor to be a drug dealer in the hood. When you hit in the block, whatever X Y Z, we know all the. Uh, all of the stereotypical drug lord shit that we say, and, and, and I get a charge out of that, you know what I mean? Because I, as a secondhand man, I really was a, a, a drug lord for, for a brief period of time with, with Dino. Sometimes it wasn't even my choice to be a drug lord. Like, I had no fucking, no, no, no say-so in the, are you coming to work today? Because I would have a fucking gun in my mouth. So I had to go to work. What the fuck do work? Work is driving around, yeah, whatever. We're not going to get into too much detail, but right. um, work was yeah, good here or, or else. Yeah, work was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I get it. <laughs> so yeah. when you're caught up in the addiction and you're in the middle of the washer, in the in the middle of the spin cycle in the dryer, it's a little difficult to think straight. Um, I don't have. I don't have all of the answers. I can't even give you an answer on definitely how I got clean at this point. Um, it started three years ago, and Griselda got a new song. Um, I think it's Benny the Butcher. It's called uh, Deal or No Deal. And he'd be like, wanna... No, no, that's not the John with the locks. It's a different John. But on this John, he says, I'm on a three year run, cleaning everything up. Now, He's talking about three-year run, cleaning everything up, selling drugs everywhere. But what what I use that phrase to mean is that I started my recovery, although I didn't stop getting high. I did make a decision three years ago to surrender my, my will to something more powerful, more powerful than myself. Now, when um, you did that um, and you were still getting high, was it still the extra strong crack or was it just like weed? No, it's still crack. When I'm talking about when I'm talking about addiction, I'm speaking about hard drugs. I don't count weed in that. I mean, weed is definitely a part of of using. You know, it's a gateway drug. There's a debate going on now between uh, you know medicinal benefits and marijuana for opiate um, opiate addiction recovery. Um, as well as other stuff. We know we have Suboxone. There's the Suboxone that they use, uh, you know, wean people off of opiates as well. Yeah, but did you know that uh, I found this out when, when I was in the hospital and they were trying to give me Suboxone. Did you know that if you stop taking that, you withdraw from that too? Yeah, I know. I never took it out. Like I said, I never did no opiates, but I do know about it. Like, I've, why would you give me something for withdrawals that I'm going to have to withdraw off of? It, it, <laughs> it's all a racket, man. It, that's all it is. So I don't know. So how long have you been clean for now? You said you surrendered yourself to a higher power about three years ago. How long from that three years to whenever you were like, you know what, I'm I'm done with this. Like Yeah, November November fifteenth, twenty nineteen is my clean date. That gives me two hundred and ninety three days to that. Congratulations. Two hundred and ninety four, I'm not sure. Yeah. So that's a that's an extended period of sobriety for me. Is that the Why longest we, that you've gone in the past 30? What, I was in jail. I was in jail for 10 and a half months with thyroid cancer, getting two operations, and fucking fighting a 48 aggravated assault case. I didn't smoke no crack for the 10 and a half months in jail. So 
you know, okay. I guess you could count that as playing time. Yeah, I mean, but if you, but yeah, you, know, you the, had the cancer, is, yeah, that's... giving you meds and stuff. So, man, they gave me barely anything in that joint. There's a there's a a link for the people who are listening. If you want to go read about the story in a little bit more depth, it's called Part Time Rap Star, Full Time Drug Dealer. It's on Q Point. It's also on Medium. If you Google Part Time Rap Star, Full Time Drug Dealer, it's going to come up. That article has uh, over four million reads at this point. I did an interview with uh, with my buddy from Australia, uh, from Uncut dot com. Actually, he actually came here to Philly, and I took him to a Cool G rap show. And then I did that interview drunk as fuck um, on the phone with him after he dropped me off, and he went back to his hotel. A lot of the information in that interview was never supposed to come to light, and it talks about Dino in depth. Yeah, I uh, so, actually went back this morning to reread it, and I was just like, man, this is a lot of information that I'm pretty sure he was high me, for. They, <laughs> that he was high for that he shouldn't have told. <laughs> hey, I mean, even he needs to have a voice, right? Who the fuck is going to tell Dino's story except me? That's right. Everybody else hates Everybody else hates him to the point where he's just fucking be ready to kill him, kidnap him, burn him, extort them, bully them, brody them, whatever. You know, bro. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes the bully just needs a hug. But sometimes when I went to go get a give a hug to the bully, that motherfucker smacked me in the face with a gun. So I stopped giving a hug. You know what I mean? It made me a little bit. Yo, doing that shit with D after it was all over for just that night. Well, anybody would want to fucking go get high after that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time somebody knocks on my oh, back door God. and they're like, it was a giant trash bag. I'm talking about, yo, D need you to hold this for a couple of days. Don't look in it. No. <laughs> I'm like, uh, all right. <laughs> Yo, I yeah. swear to God, yo, don't, don't, I was panicking for like five days. Just sit, I ain't even leave the house just in case something happened. I'm like, oh man, bro. I, just, yeah. <laughs> I used to, I used to have. I don't know if you want to put this part in there. It doesn't matter to me. I used to. Well, he bought his girl's mom. His, he bought his girl's dad's house down South Philly for sixteen bundles of dope. Bought the whole house. So then we had to move all of the stuff down there to his house. In the process of moving from the house where they came and stuck us up, dressed up like the gas men with fucking machine guns at Fifth and Wyoming. Well, there was all of these tropical fish, like, I don't know, $30,000 worth of tropical fish. He leaves me there with the fucking moving men. So they move everything except for the, the tank with the tropical fish. They're telling me I got to take them out and put them in a trash bag. Then they'll take the, the fish tank. So the fish die by the time I get him down there to him all the way in South Philly. So he's fucking going nuts because did you, you know. Did, did you know. tie the top of the bag? Yeah, I did. He, I know. I called him. I was like, I called him, and I was like, bro, I'm not taking your fish out of here. Come up and help me take them out, and then we whatever we got to do to get them there. Well, they was dead before, by the time we got to the house. He was fucking ramming, throwing fish across the room, <laughs> smashing them with his hands. Smashing the dead fish. He's talking about shock one. Shock one and bring him back to life. He's fucking shocking him with a, you know, charging cord from a Motorola flip phone. Uh, fucking do you, bro. <laughs> I can picture it, too, because D wasn't Yo, a little dude, boy. Had, he was a big He was a big boy. Big motherfucker, bro. We're in the living room. And we got spaghetti pots filled with fucking weeds. Uh... Fluffing it up is what he called it. Everybody got a big ass fucking spaghetti pot. Uh, you know, like shit that you cook spaghetti and boil the water. Right. Last night, I answered the door. It's seven o'clock at night. It's Halloween. Halloween just ended. He got us standing out there handing out five dollar bills for fucking Halloween instead of candy. We're giving everybody five dollar bills. Smokers is coming back like six times to get five dollar bills like six times so they can go get high. It's the gas man. I said, yo, it's the gas man. He was like, oh, what the fuck? Let him in, dickhead. I'm like, the, the gas man? Let him in? He was like, let me see. He comes to the door, pushes me out the way on some fucking Three Stooges shit, and opens the door, and they're standing there with fucking Uzi, Mac-10s, little, little machine guns, and motherfuckers 
spun right in on her. And me and him spun right out like a motherfucking revolving door at Gimbal. We spun right out on them niggas and right outside. Well, they went in the house and locked the door and started dragging this girl around a motherfucking crib talking about where's the money at. They found 12 pounds of weed. Remember, we had an, well, you don't know. We had an Akita, a dog in the back and a swimming pool in the back. And then the fence. And then a parking lot behind that fence is where the business district on Fifth and Wyoming used to let out on the back street, Lacombing, where like Young Guns is from. Well, the cops caught them back there because they couldn't find no money. But in the banister, the very first banister when you go up the steps to go upstairs, the first thing that everybody puts their hand on to walk up the steps in that banister was like $123,000 just slotted down. I mean, because they used to, the stacks used to lay flat. When you drop it, it'll lay flat. It was built perfect to fit a fucking stack of, you know, the size of a dollar for, for bills. You know what I mean? Damn. So they didn't find that. The cops come around, they lock the dudes up in the back. The cops bring them around or whatever. They say, who owns the house? He says, it's me. They tell him, put your hands behind your back. You're under arrest for possession of marijuana because they found the fucking 12 pounds in your house. Everybody going to jail except me. <laughs> Fuck that, bro. Now I gotta call his lawyer. They go bail him out. Now he don't want to come back to that house no more. He never came to that house again. And that's how the fish died. Out. Excuse me. Is that how the fish died? Because he was moving all the shit out. Yeah, of that? yeah, yeah. In the transition <laughs> of I'm not going there no more. He started living at the Comfort Inn on fucking Delaware Avenue. Um, you know, we talk about the music and stuff and we talked about Dino and just talked about, you know, the drug dealing part, but let's talk about the addiction part. So what was it like 30 years dealing with this every day? Like, was it like daily you wake up and you're like, yo, um, all right, I got to go get my fix so I could be all right for the day. Was that how it felt? No, and some days it did, but not, not for a very long time. It was a, it was a normal behavior. There wasn't anything to feel guilty about in the beginning. Uh, I don't. I don't remember dealing with guilt. I'm, I mean, I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic schools all of my life. I guess from what I read, that comes with some sort of Catholic guilt. I don't know. I know that I do feel guilty a lot, but yeah, I never. Feel during guilty. that, that really, I don't really have an answer for you. I know I. All right. Well, I'll, I go to meet. I go to meetings, and I hear people say this. When I took my first drink or did that first, they don't usually say did that first bag of dope or smoked that first rock with this one. But they do say, when I took that first drink, it gave me a sense of ease and comfort. I could instantly start talking to people that I used to be scared to talk to. The drink took away their inhibitions. You've heard it before. Right. Um, but I never, I never sort of remember needing to fit in but maybe I did now that I look back because I wanted to be the DJ for Tough Crew. If they was doing drugs, I was going to be doing drugs. I was young. I was trying to, I don't know what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to become a crack addict. That's for sure. Well, what uh, what made you want to stop? When the pain outweighs the pleasure and you still got to pay for it, well, then maybe it's time to stop. But that's a process. I don't have an answer for you. I'll tell you what made me want to stop. I didn't want to I didn't want to keep on putting other people through bullshit. Uh, okay, um, so November November 15th uh, last year, it, you, you stopped doing, you know, you're like, you know, for whatever reason, you just decided to stop. Um, so... You know, you, you're going through it the first couple months, everything's cool, but then the pandemic hits, and, you know, you in the Badlands. You in the heroin capital, I, opioid capital, where you can get, you can walk outside in front of the cops and cop. So, I'm actually in Tycone. I'm actually in Tycone. Yeah, but that, that is, ain't nothing but a, a three stop train ride. No shit, but we refer to Tycone now as Kensington Beach. <laughs> so. Kensington Beach because the river is right there. Motherfuckers right. be high shit right there's the fucking river. But so with, um, with the pandemic, uh, like you know, you're just sitting in the house. You can't go. I was already good though. I, I was already good. I I had this conversation with somebody else too. Some people who were still in the active addiction. Well, when the pandemic came and all of that money came, man, that was not a blessing, bro. That was uh, 
hey, perspective. This is what makes the difference for me today. Perspective. Like, I, I don't, I really don't have an answer to you. I know that there were people that I love that I was unnecessarily hurting because of my selfishness. If I take the chance today to do five things, then I'm probably not going to use. Somebody told me that at a, at a meeting. Well, here's what I did to get clean. I'm, I'm going to just give you the steps. What did, what did DJ Tutov do to get clean off smoking crack? Okay. I began to go to meetings, which are right around the corner from me. The meeting place that I began to, my recovery journey as called Stepping Stones. I met people there who, who said the same shit. Every time I went there, they said the same shit. And I was like, they're saying the same shit. Well, from them saying the same shit, it started to sink in that these were the, that these were, this was the foundation part. One of the first things that they told me was that you had to be honest. You had to be honest with yourself. And with everybody else. Now, for someone who kept this, you know, uh, inside for 30 years, how hard was it to bring that honesty out? Well, it took three years for me to get honest with myself, honest enough to say that. Honest enough to, to honest enough to say nothing. Honest enough to say that this isn't working and I can't do it. I think I'll let God do it. But how do you do that? You know what I mean? You're not going to. It's not easy to surrender, bro. Yeah, and even you when, gotta you, when have you do a little surrender, of... you don't, like, God, you know, and because and, sometimes I would say the same thing, like, come on, God, I'll do whatever, just get, to, you know, just take over my life, let yeah, me the, be better. But he don't appear right then and there, like, so the, it's... it's That's, a, that's, that's the, the foxhole prayer. Yeah. The foxhole prayers don't get answered. The only ones that get answered is this one. Uh, when you ask the Lord to, to inform you uh, knowledge of of his will for you and the strength to carry it out knowledge of god's will for you and the strength to carry it out you're not asking for anything you're just asking him to guide your way that day and it frees you from having to judge yourself at the end of the day if you should happen to pick up now that's not an excuse i already did the slip up made a mistake fell back in didn't tell nobody in AA, went back to AA. I did that constantly, relapse, go back to AA, relapse, go to a meeting that night, go from a meeting, go get high, go to a meeting, come back from a meeting. It gets frustrating for the other people who think that, the other people around you who think that you're giving a good effort to get clean. And you know what I noticed when I went to AA after I, after I used again? What's that? Over and over and over and over, use and go back to AA, use and go back to AA. I'm talking about on a daily basis. They said it doesn't matter. Keep coming back. I was like, damn, they didn't. They didn't want to spit in my face. They didn't. They weren't angry at me. Tell me I'm a piece of shit. Like I was telling myself inside my head. I was like, wow. It, it opened my eyes to somebody else that understood what I was going through. That I didn't think that there was anybody else in the world that could tell my story. But they've told my story, and my story is their story. And I, I never knew. Damn. But I know now. And that's how I got clean. Well, I'm proud of you, man. More, like, a little more a little a little more involved in all of that. And that was quite involved itself, but a couple other things. You know. Like like pray for twenty four hours clean right now. Stay in the moment. Pray for twenty four hours and stay clean today. If you can't do it for twenty four hours, do it for twelve hours. Uh, uh, try to make a meeting. Try to help somebody. This is probably the most important one. Try to help somebody else. Not expecting anything back. Go out. You don't have to break your neck. I'm saying do small things throughout the day to help other people. It'll make you less likely to be so caught up in yourself and why you don't have enough money and why you ain't got the right girl and why your girl is telling you X, Y, Z or why, why are you angry at your son? Uh, a, a real important one is stay away from people, places, and things that, uh, that that might destroy or 
hinder your recovery. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Don't, don't walk past 7-Eleven at 2 o'clock in the morning because that's where niggas be out there hustling. Now, at this point, I'm not going to grab anyway, but I might go down there and be like X, Y, Z, whatever. Like a motherfucker be like, oh, hey, you good? Motherfucker, I'm good. Nigga, I'll sell you something. What the fuck is you talking about? You know what I mean? And it jump off right there. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a nigga to test me because I feel like, you know what I mean? I got something to prove, but I really don't have nothing to prove. I just need to stay alive. And I'm good because the streets up here in Philly is fucked up, bro. Niggas get murdered out here on a regular. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't nothing nice out here. Yeah, that's why I had to get up, man. I, you know what they I mean? They dying every day, bro. They die, they dying every day. Everybody in the hood, they, you know, motherfuckers is getting killed every day, bro. Yo, um, black, white, Asian. When when Puerto I went Rico, up there, uh, Dominican. for Duce Palooza and a Roots picnic last year, my homie Omar, um, I took him, you know, under the L at like 3 a.m. and he was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, he was yeah. like, "Are they shooting a zombie movie?" I'm like, "No, nah, it man, is a zombie movie." Yeah, I'm like, "No, nah, this is every day." He's like, "The cops yeah, just let them shoot up right there." I said, "Yeah, how you gonna?" What stop can them? they do, bro? Nobody yeah. can't do nothing. They sick, bro. Like you know, it, it comes to a point where you gotta. I don't know, man. I'm. A, I can only speak for me personally and my personal journey. I don't know anybody else's journey because I don't live inside their head. You live inside your head. My son, six years old, lives inside his head. When I tell him, if I'm on the phone with you, and I might be stressing about a couple other things in the back of my mind, those couple other things could be like 40 other things. Right. The human mind is crazy, man, because look at how many things we can think about all at the same time. A whole lot of different shit, bro. You know how I know this? Because when I go out the door, my mind is, is overwhelmed with what did I forget or you know, it's just there's just so many different thoughts going through my head just to, just to start this interview today, and that's what happens after you get clean. You still have effects of the of the drug use. You still have behavioral effects. You still have mental health effects from the drug use because that may have been making mental issues that you that you already had worse, or it may have been alleviating some of the mental issues that you had. And causing other mental issues that now you have a variety of different shit going on in, in your head. I'm just thankful that I don't have any kind of health issues. Nobody in our family had COVID-19. We were able to make it through the pandemic. Very, very, um, I'm not going to use the word easily because it hasn't been easy. But without effort. Is that, is that part of the surrender part? You're fucking right. Like, not not running around trying to do whatever you're trying to do to make this happen because you have to be the number one director of the movie. Everybody got to be in the right position. This boy got to be right there. He got to sit right here. He got to walk in with the food. The lights is too bright. The music is not loud enough. You know? Right. This, the, the, the camera angle has to be from here. If one of those things go wrong, well, hold on, cut. Cut everything. Everything got to cut. Well, people live their life like that. Unless everything goes to exactly the way that they wanted to go, well, fuck it, I'm out. I go get high. I go back to my house. It doesn't have to be getting high, and you don't have to be um, addicted to anything to to be an addict. Like I'm not addicted to anything anymore, but I still have addict behavior. And when I say addict, it it, it gives a bad connotation because that could mean fiends. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Sometimes to open up and be vulnerable is a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Depending on who it is, they can use whatever they want to use against me and say whatever they want to say about all the shit that I've just said on this interview. But I'm not worried about nothing. Well, I you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I remember I'm when... Uh, from, I'm just speaking from the heart and speaking the truth. I just got to... Go ahead. I'll listen. Oh no no I was uh, I didn't mean to cut you short I, I was gonna say I remember when uh when we were doing a City of Brotherly Love remix and the album you were on there, um I had a song called Addict and I wasn't on no drugs it was about food because like I was addicted to food I was like five fifty like you know you can go anywhere and get something to eat like when you're fed it's everywhere that's kind of what drugs is so it, it's not just being an addict isn't just drugs like. And then when I stopped the food, I switched it to when I would buy a jersey, I would buy seven. Like, I, I can, one of anything just never works for me. Like, right now, my current addiction is Starbucks friggin' espresso because I need to stay awake because I'd be so tired. 
and normally the medicine, like you said, kept you up all summer. That would have kept me up. So now it's like, oh man, like I can't fall asleep normally. I'll be exhausted, but I don't really sleep much. So now it's like, all right, I need a coffee. I need a coffee. I need a coffee. I need a coffee. So, yeah, man, you don't have like, I can't imagine not having something. Like, I'm like, all right, let me go get a coffee. I'm already thinking about a coffee right now. <laughs> I find myself throughout the day going through the same process. I need a cigarette. Uh, what can I do to make myself feel better, take myself out of the moment? I might be, I might be totally fine and everything is cool. Yet I'm still searching for something, a small snack, a piece of gum, uh, a, a heavy bag to buy so I can work out. Uh, a new piece of DJ equipment, a fader for my for my broken uh, rolling DJ five hundred five. We are always looking for something to yeah to do or something like something to make us feel better than we already do. Humans are never satisfied with their current state. I've noticed that about myself. I don't know about everybody. Donald Trump has all the money in the world. He's not satisfied. He has to be president. You know, this is this is ambition. But it also can be, you know, I mean, I guess there's good and bad ambition, huh? I'm not saying anything about Donald Trump, pro, con, whatever. I ain't even getting into it. I'm yeah. just saying. I'm off that. Everybody who feels one way about him or the other way, you ain't going to change their mind. I'm, I'm just done arguing for or against. Like, I, I, I can't. I definitely don't want to turn this interview into a political stand. Yeah, no. It's... it's it is what it is at this point. Like you're never going to stop the people who love him and you're never going to stop the people who hate him. So why, why even waste our breath on that when we talking about something that could actually change the world? Um, you know what I mean? Just dealing with what we're going through. Everybody is here for a reason. I can't, I can't put forth a small belief. If God set into motion, everybody on the planet and he has control over everybody in some way because the piece of him is in all of us. Right. Right. Because it has to be, because it all started from an original flame, right? Okay. Whether you agree or you don't agree, it's still people that you interact with on a on a daily basis. We call them loved ones. These people, we have a, you know the dude uh, in the wheelchair from X-Men? Dr. X. Uh, Xavier, Professor Xavier. Xavier, yeah. Yeah, when he puts the joint on Cerebro, well, he's able to connect to all of these motherfuckers, right? Okay. And it drives him kind of crazy because he's hearing voices from fucking everywhere. Well, we have loved ones, and I think that, like, I go through a, I go through a extreme checklist in my head, mental checklist every day, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not good. Sometimes I can get stuck in the extreme mental checklist. Is my mom cool? Let me call her. Is my dad cool? Let me call him. Let me check on my daughter in New York. My son just got. I got to get him breakfast. What do I got to do later on today? The phone is ringing. There's so many things that I'm thinking about as soon as my eyes open in the morning. But most of those things, most of those things are associated directly with things that I'm obviously involved with currently. And this takes it all back to just stay in the moment. You know what I mean? If I if I remind myself, if I start to get a little bit fidgety and be like, you know what, man, I ain't gonna fucking go get high. But I might want to go knock somebody the fuck out outside, even if they knock me the fuck out. It don't matter who gets knocked out. It's just the, the scrimmage. I just need the scrimmage. You know what I mean? Right. So, the scrimmage might not be good because if I pick the wrong young boy, he's going to murk me. So I'll fall back on that tough guy shit. You have to, especially in Philly, man. Like, There's no uh, need. You tough for what, nigga? Tough for what? Fuck out of here. It's motherfuckers out here dying. We don't got time for the tough guy shit. We know. I mean, if you're, in the, if you're on the block, that's different. Yeah, I mean, if you in the game, that that's even on the different. block. We always we always had compassion on the block, bro. We wasn't no, you know, what I mean, we was never drug lords. I mean, Dino ain't never had no compassion, no. But you know, second in charge on down probably did. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a wild idea. I remember a camera online that always stuck with me when he said, "Bench press for what? Lift four pounds." And it made me realize you don't need to be the biggest, the strongest. As long as you can hold that four-pound thing in your hand, anybody could do anything to anybody at any time. I was talking to my sponsor last night about it. There's a meme that says, um, I forget, I'll send it to you. It's something like, uh, I'm okay right now, but really deep inside, I I want a a motherfucker to smack the shit out of me so I can see if I still got it. Mm. And I was talking to my sponsor about it. He was like, yo, we do that. And I was talking about this dude that was, that I knew in jail. I was in jail with him. And he big as shit, man, with all these fucking tattoos. Motherfucker big as shit. 
I was like, yeah, but you know that he was like, yeah, don't you just want to knock a motherfucker out when they think it's shit? He's like, that's our ego talking to us. We look at him and maybe we're jealous because our shit don't look like that, and now we want to knock him the fuck out. And maybe we might be able to knock him the fuck. Maybe we will knock him the fuck out. But this is the part that we got to cut out. This is the part that's blocking us. This is the part that's going to eventually make us return to the cycle of addiction unless we be careful. Right. Well. I'm going to get you out of here with this one. Um, I know you had a lot of different scares out here in your life. I mean, like you said, getting shot, you had cancer, addiction, dealing with Dino, just overcoming everything, man. What What do you think out of all that was the hardest for you to overcome? Today I tried to stay in the current moment like I was, like I was you know, trying to teach. From, they tell me, this is the story, how you used to be what you did to change it and how you are now. And that's the three parts that you're supposed to concentrate on. If I get into a bunch of war stories, which is good for the social media part, let me say this. I've never told, I've never said some of the stuff that I said to you today in this interview. Mm. It's only, it's only God speaking through me and I'm not, I'm not screaming Jesus. I'm not screaming Allah. I'm not screaming any religion. I'm screaming, when I realize that it's not me that's doing it, then the words come out so much easier and I can get to the point instead of telling you stories about how I got shot, stabbed, survived cancer, all of those pump my ego up. And that leads me to in a bad direction. The final, the final thing that I really do want to say is that through all of the tragedies in my life and all of the good moments in my life, all of the trips to Miami with Luke Skywalker and all of the trips to CSTF, to the cancer slab, well, hip hop was always there through all of it. I was getting letters from people. I was getting news uh, uh, interviews in the daily news through the, through the whole cancer shit. That was the one constant, and I know that God God speaks to me through my, through that music, bro. I know that everybody from hip hop, that that entire culture, has 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 been there for me whenever I needed them, and I didn't even have to call; they came looking. So I just want to say thank you for the for the opportunity for the interview for letting me disclose some, Anytime, some personal uh, you know some personal demons and expose them to the world because when I when I let them out then they they disappear you know yeah. they they evaporate. Well, listen, man, you know you're always welcome on here. You family to me, man. I known you probably fifteen something years, man. So anything you need, you know, I'm always here for you, bro. And I, I really appreciate you taking, you know, an hour out of your time on this morning because, you know, I know you, you know, you got Jordan. I got my Jordan. Like, they're down there doing their schoolwork. Like, this was the only time we could get it done. So I, I just really yeah. appreciate it, man. And, um, you know, I, I, like I said, anything you ever need, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the book. And, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. Anytime you want to come back, bro, you're always welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Too Tough. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Are oh, you welcome, man? I had a great time. Uh, me too, man. Thank you. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was DJ Too Tough, and he says something very important. Now, you know, normally I don't be playing other people's songs and stuff, but just what he said. He said, I write what I see. Right to make it right, don't like what I be. I like to make it like the sights on TV. Quite the great life, so nice and easy. See, now you can still die from that, but it's better than not being alive from straps. Agreed. A meat notebook and a big that clip when it's pushed and a whack ass beat. That's a track that's weak that he got last week. Cause everybody in the stool was like, that's that heat. A bass heavy medley with a sample from the 70s with a screwed up hook that went. Something, something, something. Stack that cheese. Mother, sister, cousin. Stack that cheese. He couldn't think of nothing. Stack that cheese. He turns down the beat, right as black. Freeze. <laughs> Crying from the next room, a baby in need of some pampers and some food and a place to sleep. Yeah. That plus a black Cadillac on these is what keep him on track to be a great MC. Yeah. When you never heard of, I push it harder for the rhyme. I feel like murder, but. Hip-hop just saved me One you never heard of I push it harder for the thought
And that's what's up with talking about how hip hop saved his life. I mean, damn that 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 was a that was a great interview for me because, you know, like I said, I known Tough for a minute, man, and um, you know, I didn't know he was dealing with all that shit for a while, man. I, I just didn't know. Like, every time we kicked it, it was always on some music shit. Um. So you know, it is what it is, but uh. Damn, man. So thank you once again to Too Tough. We're going to get out of here with this, man. But, um, you know, I want to thank you all for listening to the Live and Let Live podcast. I'll see you all next Friday. Uh, Y'all stay blessed and stay safe out there. One.